0: Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Paul, as most of you know, is writing from a Roman prison cell. He has been arrested for his faith. He's about to go on trial for his life, and yet he's so concerned about this young congregation at Ephesus, he's writing to encourage them. And so we break into the epistle at chapter 2, verse 1. And he writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this morning as we come to Ephesians chapter 2, we're coming to verses 8, 9, and 10, which are some of the best known words, and I would suggest this, in all of Scripture. Now that's quite something. It's not that these words were simply memorized and applied and appreciated and enjoyed in the first century in Paul's day. But they were not only memorized year after year, but decade after decade. And in fact, down through the centuries, they have impacted and transformed and renewed and refreshed hearts and minds and souls that have been weary, discouraged, longing to hear a word from God. But more importantly than that, they talk to us of the reality of the gospel. And please understand the magnitude and the profundity, the sheer enormity of what Paul is saying. For it is by grace, the unmerited, undeserved, intimate love of God that you are saved. Please understand what he's saying. Paul is not here talking about religion. He's talking about relationship. He's talking about what happens when you are first exposed to the gospel and it breaks into your life and suddenly God is real. He's no longer some benign supreme being. But he's your heavenly father, deeply in love with you, who's captured your heart and mind and soul and drawn you into a relationship with him. He walks with you each day. He answers your prayer. He speaks to your soul. The unvarnished immensity of that love is right there in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 please understand this. For all of the focus and the time spent on Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we almost never look at verse 10. Look at it with me. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you understand what Paul is saying? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the point he's making. For we are God's workmanship. F.F. Bruce, an outstanding New Testament scholar, suggested there was another analogy here. And Bruce says this, it's a little like, A famous painter, settling down on the edge of his chair, setting up his easel, putting a blank canvas there and staring at the canvas, imagining in his mind and planning and purposing what will come next, and then opening up his paint box and going in for just the right color. And he's laying out those various colors and looking at the easel. And then he starts with a pencil and begins to sketch and imagines. Begins to compose and think of the ratio and how he will put this picture together. And then eventually picks up a brush, mixes some paint, and then begins... And a masterpiece comes from nothing. A blank canvas. That's what Paul means. He picks you up. He loves you. He exposes you to his will. And he creates in you this masterpiece. And guess what? It's for the rest of your life. And sometimes he'll bend down into that paint box And pick out dark paint and browns and grays. And he'll begin to use those dark colors. And those dark colors will symbolize moments of sadness and grief and disappointment. And moments when you go through seasons of difficulties and you cannot understand what God is doing, but He's not finished. He's still working and He's still painting. And other times He'll reach for the red and the blue and the yellow. Painting a little sky and a little sunshine. And those are the moments when you feel close to Him and know His heart. And sense his presence and grasp onto his love and gasp for breath when you understand what he is doing and how he is shaping your life. You are God's workmanship created. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. Because he never calls you into that intimate relationship just to let you sit back and enjoy. He never calls you into such a relationship that is somehow manufactured or immature, but he calls you to live out your faith day by day by day as you raise a family, as you engage in your neighborhood, as you go to work each day. He expects you to live out your faith to be Christ-like. I don't think any of us this morning would hold up our hands and say, yes, I'm Christ-like. I think most of us would hold up our hands and say, actually, there are a number of areas in my life where I'm not Christ-like. and I get it wrong. I would have to tell you, as I said last Sunday and against this morning, I have given my father excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse, after excuse to give up on me have sinned multiple times and get it wrong and will in the days to come. And yet he insists in loving me as he insists on loving you and he expects us to live out our faith. Doing what? What does the passage say? To do good works which God has prepared in advance for us. Now, when Paul was writing to 1st century Ephesus, those lessons are still applicable in 21st century Greenville. He calls us to live out our faith day by day today, not one generation or two generations ago, but today. To be Christ-like in all aspects of your life. To be Christ-like as we seek to live out our faith in a 21st century cultural setting in a society at times is an enormous blessing and encouragement to us but other times our culture and society we look at it and shake our heads and think good night what is going on but that is when we are needed the most sociologists psychologists those who study semiotics tell us this, that there is today a generation who are characterized as millennials, those who are 18 to 30, and they tell us they think very differently from any previous generations. And this is what they tell us. They tell us that the characteristics of millennials are these, that Wi-Fi is an entitlement. I was traveling with my son recently, who's 30, so he just makes it into the millennial group. And we checked into a hotel in Egypt, and as we're walking up the stairs together to check into a room, he didn't ask what time was breakfast the next morning. He said, Dad, did you remember to get the password for the Wi-Fi? If you want to punish your children and your grandchildren, refuse to give them the password for the Wi-Fi. Until they've completed their chores. Wi-Fi is an entitlement. Access to technology means the world is an instant, open, and limitless place. Life is defined by being connected to the ubiquitous convenience of a digital playground. 92% do not go online. They live online. I can't remember the last time I heard someone say, are you going online? It's just assume that you're online. They're multi-ethnic in their friendships. They're global in their outlook. Sexuality is sexually fluid in relationships. Believe themselves to be mature and in control. They intend to change the world. Entrepreneurship is in their blood. Seek education and knowledge. They use social media as a tool, not simply to keep up to date, but as a tool. The culture and social instability is normal. Please notice the significance of that. Cultural and social instability is normal. They often multitask across five screens. If it was only five screens, that would be helpful. But there it is. Attention span is getting shorter. I hope you're paying attention to this. Thank you. Thank you. Choir, someone got it at last. Now, some of you are waking up and saying, what just happened? I missed that. Attention span is getting shorter. Communicate with symbols and images. Hyper aware of humanity's impact on the planet. They're savvy and well-informed when it comes to advertising. They're more apt to be influenced by friends than commercials. Please notice the relational dynamic there. 78%. Believe in God. Less than half attend a weekly religious service. 21.3% claim to be agnostic. And yet they long for credibility and authenticity in all aspects of their lives. They seek relational connectedness and intergenerational engagement and will spend endless hours on social media seeking intimacy through anonymity. Intimacy through anonymity is impossible. You cannot do that. They think with their feelings, listen with their eyes. In other words, your children and your grandchildren will be asking this question, do I see a radical difference in the life of my parents and my grandparents? Do I see this love for God as a living reality in their life? Are they gracious and kind and welcoming and prayerful? Does it impact and change their life? Think with their feelings and listen with their eyes. Long to be a part of the solution to perceived problems. Long for a faith which is high in invitation and high in challenge. And they have a thirst for the transcendent a thirst for the transcendent the want to know is god this loving reality that others talk of how do we get to know him is it even remotely true what you're talking of we have a generation that's full of life vibrant, exciting, wonderful to know who are looking for genuine answers who have got it so right in so many aspects but in other areas are needing the help and encouragement and the relational connectedness that parents and grandparents have to offer. It is very real, very real. And if you are saying, Richard, how do we as a church? How do we as a community of God's people speak into that culture and society? Where do we begin? Please watch our screens.
1: Those doctors are wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. I eat right, I exercise. There's no way I have cancer. I can't believe I lost another job. Second one this month. What am I gonna tell Angela? Why can't I look like her? I bet Billy would like me then. Nobody's ever gonna love me. They told me I could never have you. Now, I'll never let you go. God, why can't I have a baby?
0: Don't I deserve to be happy too?
1: even notices I'm here. I wonder if anybody would even care if I died. supposed to pay for this. I've got to get this gambling under control. I need help. You know, I wonder... How many times do we pass by our neighbors without realizing what's really going on in their lives? How can we help? I mean, knowing that we are broken too, how can we share with our neighbors the light and love of Jesus that we have experienced? The truth of the matter is, we need an adequate space, a launching pad to both equip ourselves to go out into the world and a safe place in which to invite our neighbors, where we can make these encounters happen and invest in them. We need a new and expanded facility for at least two reasons. First, we need a larger common ground to meet people from our community, to hear their stories so that we might carry their burdens as Paul instructs us in his letter to the Galatians. How many of us have experienced our cramped hallways, limited gathering spaces, a children's ministry that is scattered all over our campus, and a youth floor that is bursting at the seams? We can improve all of these things simply with a new campus design. Secondly, we need adequate facilities where we can gather together to be equipped with the Word and refueled by the Holy Spirit for the missional journey that we are on as a congregation. We see from the example of the early church in the book of Acts that they practiced a regular rhythm of gathering throughout the week at homes around the city and then on Sundays in the synagogue or the temple. In this way, God's people were scattered out into the world and gathered in from the world so that the people around those early Christians could see them united in a common cause where they could find new friends, share in worship of the one true God, and parents could augment the spiritual development of their children. We need a new facility not so that we can go to church as if church is a place, but so that we can learn to be the church. Because, you know, church is not where you go. Rather, at the end of the day, It's who we are. And we are the people God has called in this city at this time to acknowledge, listen to, and encourage those who are all around us desperately needing the love of Christ, just like we do.
0: How do we impact the spiritual heart of the city? We do it quite simply by being Christ-like. Back in the 4th century, St. Augustine wrote these words. Because you made us for yourself, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. In the video moments ago, we saw folks experiencing the frustration of a wrong diagnosis. Someone else saying, I'm unloved and uncared for and unnoticed. Someone else just lost a job. Someone else wrestling with infertility. How do we impact a large, growing, dynamic, vital city? By living out their faith each day. By being God's workmanship in the place that He's called us to be. Now if you worship with us each Sunday, you will know that we're in the midst of a capital campaign. You heard Brian say at the end of the video, we are struggling with cramped facilities and narrow corridors. And you're aware of all that we are doing in terms of focusing on new facilities. But please hear this. When Greenville Hospital System build a new hospital, it often takes years of preparation and design and careful construction. When Greenville County put in a new school, it's the same But they don't put up a building and then say, we're done. Because the building is simply a facility to impact and transform lives. In hospitals, they're seeking wholeness and health and rehabilitation. In schools, they're seeking to impact young lives through education and bringing them to maturity and understanding the world they live in. And we are saying when people are at their point of lowest need. We are a church who cares. We will be there. We can make a difference. If you lived in Greenville back in 1922 and walked down what was Main Street and took a photograph of the Reedy River, that's what you would have seen. If you stand in the same spot and take a similar photograph today, that's what you'll see. Our city fathers have done an outstanding job at the redevelopment of the city. It is our day. It is our time. We are called for this generation to engage with the works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. And when we step up, When we're willing to say, Father, let me as an individual, let me as a family begin to pray. Let me fully engage. Let me step forward and say, I want to make a difference. I want to be part of where we're going. So this week, prayerfully be thinking, engaging, asking yourself, as I make my way towards Sunday, April 7th, Commitment Sunday, Are you willing to prayerfully, sacrificially step forward? This past Friday, we had hoped to send out what we're calling our capital campaign brochure with architects' renderings and facilities and details. And if you didn't get it over the weekend, you'll certainly get it Monday or Tuesday. Let me encourage you to take that commitment card, use it prayerfully, carefully, engage with God and say, Father, what? Role would you have me to participate in? And why do we do it? Because we know what it means to be saved by grace, and we long to impact our culture and our society so that they, in turn, can know the love and grace of Almighty God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your call upon our lives. Thank you that not only do you draw us into a relationship with you, not only do you fashion and shape our lives in order that we would be your workmanship, but you call us to participate and you create for us good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. Father, help us now to step up, to participate in all that you are calling us to be. Father, enable us, please, to be Christ-like in all aspects of of our living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.